Hello and welcome to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name is Ian Steed, and I'm the Senior Department Coordinator here in the Guitar Department. Today we're joined by longtime guitar professor Robin Stone. She opens up about what it was like to come as a student back in the 80s and how challenging it was to be a young woman playing the guitar at Berkeley. She gives some really great advice about facing adversities like sexism and performance anxiety head on and finding ways to use them to your advantage. As always, these interviews will also be available on YouTube in case you'd like to see all our faces. And we, of course, have a lot of other great content on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So check us out, like us, and subscribe. Here's our interview with Robin Stone. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the Berkeley Guitar Department, and welcome to our Guitar Department Coffee Talk. This week, we've got Cheryl Bailey, Assistant Chair, Ian Steed, our Senior Department Coordinator. Hello. And our special guest is Professor Robin Stone Yay. of the Guitar Department. Hey, Robin. <laughs> hey. hey, Robin. <laughs> How are you? Great. So thanks for joining us today. Um, are you drinking coffee this morning? Did you have coffee? I got my cup of joe. Oh, <laughs> oh that's great. <laughs> and and uh, we've got our guitar department. Yes. Official guitar mugs. And Cheryl, you have a coffee update from your world of the well, remote campus. Yes, I just learned how to roast my own beans oh. from a musician who taught me how to do it by sound which really made sense. So this is my very first home brew Vienna, Vienna roast. That's great. That's yeah. cool. I, and, say, and, I drink Pete's Costa Rican and I'm wishful thinking mug. So <laughs> you, cream and sugar or just, I use a uh, silk vanilla soy creamer because it's got very little sugar in it. It's kind of yummy and it's, it's uh, organic, I guess. I don't know. Supposedly non GMO. I don't know. So it's good. <laughs> That's great. I've been hanging out in Central Mass near this uh, Trappist monastery, and they make coffee. So I've got the midnight vigil. Ooh. I've got. What about you, Ian? What are you drinking? I finished my coffee. I'm sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> always ahead. He's always I was ahead. drinking a great medium blend. I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was really nutty, and I was uh, half and half is how I take it. Nice. It's really good. I don't have the proof. It's gone, but believe me, it was delicious. <laughs> so, Robin. Yes. What was your first day at Berkeley like? I mean, you were um, you've been here for a number of years in different capacities. So, what about the very first time you came to Berkeley? Uh, well, it was 41 years ago, I guess, because I entered as a freshman in 1979. The school was a lot different than it is now. It wasn't as diversified back then. It was uh, the ratio of women to men in particular was something like 10 to one. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, many times you'd be the only woman in the class kind of thing, but that was fine. I didn't, you know, that didn't bother me. But the first day um, I had my entering audition as many students do. And uh, I, I kind of had a few strikes going against me. Um, First of all, I had studied all summer out of the Levitt books, and so I was working on my reading, working on my chords, and I get in there, and I'm like, you know, nervous, of course, and 
I had just bought a brand spanking new Les Paul because I, I had had this really crummy Penco Les Paul with a bolt on neck. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to Berkeley with that guitar. So I, I ended up, <laughs> I ended up buying this really nice Les Paul Pro and it had that new car smell thing all over it, right? And the case was immaculate and I opened up the case and the teacher who was there, who's since retired, kind of gave me the, oh, did you just buy a guitar kind of thing? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> And I'm like, uh, yeah. And, you know, and then the, the guitar, of course, was nice and shiny and new and everything. So, you know, you know, he kind of gave me the, the look of, okay, this person's just learning how to play the guitar kind of thing. And I'd been playing for a, a little bit. But anyway, so it kind of went downhill from there. So then he put reading in front of my face. And it was the chord thing where it's like F major 7, F sharp diminished, and it had a Roman numeral, and the Roman numeral was Roman numeral 1. So, you know, you're supposed to play it in first position. I played it up on 8th position, right? I started up there, started playing. I got to, like, the G minor 7 chord. Stop. Okay. Chord lab 1. You're done. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What? I played the right chords. No, no, no. You didn't see the Roman numeral. And then the, I said, well, you want me to play it down here? I know how to play those chords. Down. No, that's okay. Uh, uh, next, you know. <laughs> So needless to say, that was, but what that did do is as negative of a experience as that kind of was for me at the time. And I was kind of like, oh boy, I'm in for, you know, now I'm in for it. You know, this is how school's going to be. But all it did was make me actually realize that I have to work twice as hard. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, um, things were a little different back then with how women were treated as far as guitar playing women. And so, you know, I had to deal with that kind of, uh, attitude kind of thing. And, it was fine because it just makes you work harder, you know? And so mm -hmm. I've been teaching here 30 years as a result. One of the other things is... Uh, I was curious where the guy who auditioned you is. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you after we're done with this. <laughs> that's not a coffee talk. That's like a bar talk uh, conversation. Yeah, you know, you know who the person is. Put it this way. I'm still there and he's since retired. So Okay. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, isn't that amazing how those first moments stick with you. You know, you start and you think, oh, it was so long ago. And then you start to tell the story. We can feel like it happened yesterday, you know? Oh, yeah. It, the school has gotten a lot better in that regard, I have to say. I don't want to turn anybody off or anything. But, <laughs> you know, it's not the best experience. But it was, it was one of those experiences that, as a woman guitar player in general, we face that all the time. I mean, we just do. And it's part of the, if, if you, if you can't hang with that, then you're maybe in the wrong profession to begin with because you're going to have to put up with that stuff. And it just makes you, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you tougher. So mm -hmm. you just, you know, you live with it and go on and, and work really hard and prove people wrong. That's all. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I, you all know that. Right. I mean, one thing that has struck me in the last few weeks, like, thinking about it in different contexts for different reasons is how much of all that stuff was just normal. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it was like, yeah. and then you look back and you're like, Oh, wow. You know, I, I wouldn't want my colleagues or uh, my friends to act like that. And I kind of can't imagine them acting like that now. And, and back then it was like, Oh, wow. Like we just navigated this environment that had a lot of that stuff just in it, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I think in general, just things have evolved and gotten better for women and that type of stuff. And uh, that's a good thing, you know. 
And I think it's more acceptable now to be a, a female guitar player. I don't think it's that much of a shock anymore. But, you know, back then it was like, oh, you're a girl. Like, what do you know? You know, kind of attitude. And it was just like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it was just, but like I said, those are the things that you take and you either, you know, they either beat you down and you quit or you say, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'll, I'll come back to you know, I'll come back. And and one of the things was, uh, as a freshman there, I just remember wanting to, I had been teaching lessons at a little music store and I was literally in a room the size of about, I don't know, six by six or something, a little tiny little teaching studio. And I just remember thinking, boy, I'd really, my goal is to teach here someday. And so I just kept my eye on that prize the whole time. And I, I just loved being at Berkeley so much, even with all that kind of stuff going on. But um, it just made you work that much harder to achieve, you know, for me, I just made me work that much harder to achieve that goal and keep my eye on that prize so that I, you know, and eventually I got that. So mm -hmm. and 30 years later, I'm like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> 30 years? <laughs> Where the hell did that go? <laughs> Crap. <laughs> you know? So I have a question. So 30 years for Robin and then Cheryl, this has got to be in the twenties of years for you, right? Yeah. I think it's around, I think I started in, um, 2000 as a professor. Mm -hmm. I Do mean, you I was, two remember meeting? Not till meeting I, Cheryl. I remember when you, when you got hired and I'm yeah, like, this person commutes from New York. What is she out of her mind? You know, <laughs> well, yes, like, the answer was yes. <laughs> yeah, because it was Lauren and then me, and then I think it was Abby and then Jane, and then you got hired. I think after Jane, I believe. I think yeah, yeah. And I then think. Amanda, I believe, and uh, yeah. and on and on. But it, it, yeah, I remember. But I used to just see you maybe on Mondays and Tuesdays, and that's right. Didn't really know you very well at all until you became the assistant chair. Well, yes. no, until we had a conversation during guitar sessions about your bowling league. Oh. That's when I really said, I got to get to know Robin more because this is a woman of culture and depth and great observation. Okay. This is my kind of friend. This, this is somebody I want to be friends with, really. I'm a horrid bowler. I mean, I was okay. <laughs> Much better a hockey player than a bowler, but I've since retired from hockey, kind of anyway. But yeah, these are the things you learn when you hang out in the guitar department. You know, it's so nice to have. I mean, basically, we had to do this podcast, right? Because we had to reproduce the coffee hang that we were having in the office. Yes. Well, hey, um, Robin, I'm curious. I mean, some of the when you were there as a student, the band. I guess if you could tell us a little bit about those experiences, like some of the ensembles and musicians you worked with, and then if they became colleagues or, you know, later on in your career or, you know, just making those connections and, and how important, what were those important gig situations and playing situations and then how they transformed, you know, as your career went on? Well, some of the, some of my best friends to this day are, you know, a couple of friends I met at Berkeley as students, and I'm still to this day, you know, we're still in touch. I still talk to them. Uh, one friend of mine's out in St. Louis, and I recently, he emailed me out of the blue, and I was, I was so glad he did, because he was like my best friend for a long time at, while we were students there, and 
I hadn't, I'd lost contact with him. I couldn't find him on social media. So I just kind of gave up and he ended up emailing me, which was great. So we've kind of gotten back into talking to each other here and there. And another friend of mine lives in Arlington and she's been a really good friend of mine for, since I met her. And, uh, and then another friend of mine, we actually went to high school together and we ended up being roommates at Berkeley and she's down in New York and married to a recording engineer person down there. And so we're still really close and, you know, talk about all that stuff. And we go way back to high school. So, but yeah, the connections you make there. And then Lauren, I mean, I knew Lauren too, when I was there, um, Lauren Passarelli. And um, so, I mean, you, you, and so I guess she's probably the one person that, you know, from back in those days that I'm a colleague of there at the school. Um, but there's a few others, but it, it's, yeah, I mean, the people that you meet there actually make such a impact on your life musically and otherwise, friend-wise, and, um, you know, you all support each other, and um, you never really lose that. If if they're truly a good friend, then, you you know, that stays with you, and those are the types of things that you, you go to college to, you know, find and develop and all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, you know, it's funny to reminisce about my, the one friend I have who's from Arlington, she used to have the dorm room right next to me. I was on the sixth floor and she had the, the, we had the last two rooms in the hallway. So, you know, there was a phone there and she used to say, Hey stone, you got a phone call, you know, she, like, <laughs> and she used to have these humongous parties and stuff in her room. And I, I'm like, you know, she'd have like 30 people crammed into her little dorm room. I'm like, how do you, what do you you know, just stuff like that. When we talk, it's like, you remember that, you know, like, <laughs> don't try this at home kids. <laughs> yeah, 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 Not now, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the college thing was great. I mean, it, it, Berkeley was such a great place because you do meet people. I mean, I, I was friends with a lot of people that went on to bigger and better things. I mean, um, uh, there was a guitar player by the name of Anthony who he went down to New York. And then the next thing I know, I'm reading guitar player and there he is, you know, and uh, this other kid, Keith, was a keyboard player. He ended up going on tour with Shaka Khan. And when I was at Berkeley, Branford Marsalis was there. Amy Mann was there. Makoto Ozoni was there um, to name three pretty made. Oh, Jeff Tane Watts was there. I mean, it was quite the class, actually. Um, so the influence of, and then, oh, Donald Harrison, he's like Charlie, he was in my arranging one class. So we would do arrangements of autumn leaves and this kid would take a solo and he's like, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, look at him. I'm like, am I supposed to be able to do that? <laughs> like, you know, my first semester here. I mean, that's incredible. And of course he's a huge, uh, you know, iconic saxophonist down in new Orleans. So yeah, no, I mean, you, you kind of. I was sort of in awe of the place when I was in the, when I was there, you know, my mom teaches there. And so I am in awe of her, too. I mean, she's been there for over 40 years and um, she was in the league of, you know, the guys that were teaching there, like Herb Pomeroy and Greg Hopkins and Wayne Noss and Alan Dawson and all these ridiculous, you know, all the guys, Jimmy Mosier and all these guys, um, Gene DeStacio, a lot of them have passed away, actually. Um, but she was in that league of people playing, you know, every night of the week and, and just the whole vibe of the school was so, you know, that's when music was really vibrant as far as in the city, you know, all the hotels had bands and all the clubs, there was a lot more clubs and, you know, live music was the thing back then. 
And so, uh, and even the guys in the guitar department that were there that a lot, you know, a few have passed away and a lot of them have retired now, but even just being in the presence of some of those guys, you know, Garrison Fuel or, you know, Ken Taft or Joe Rogers or, you know, some of these guys that have been there forever, Jim Kelly, you know, they've been teaching there quite a while and you're just sort of in awe of like how well they play and just, you know, the whole thing. So it was kind of intimidating, but it was like, uh, you know, John Amaral, he used to, they used to be where the 160 building is. They used to be a fish place, like Folsom's Seafood. And he would, we had a lab and it was like, he'd come in every week with a huge fisherman's platter and it stunk up the whole room. <laughs> and the whole lab was like, you know, uh, open the real book to this page while he's, he'd say, open to page 53. Right. And then, you know, and, then, and, 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 and so we would just, you know, and, and he's like, okay, you ready? One, two. And, and we're like, what are we... And so you're supposed to play a voicing with the melody on top, which actually I, I, to this day, say that was the greatest lab because it really teaches you voicings and which note is on the top of the voicing. And But he'd sit there and chow down on like fried fish and French fries every week. It was just like, he was kind of kooky anyway, but you know. But Okay, I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. I mean, one thing I was thinking about when you're talking is like all of us, are shaped by all these memories in the environment, you know, like they're so vivid and all these people that you meet. And then what you just said was kind of my next question. Like, what are some of the musical things that came out of that where you know, like, okay, that lab or that moment or that thing that seemed like a funny story or like kind of a crazy thing that actually changed my playing that actually really influenced me as a musician. Are, is there another thing like that? Well, just, uh, I mean, that lab was interesting. I just remember, you know, certain, um, well, like I had ear training one, like everybody, and I struggled with the solfege and things like that. I had Bill Brinkley for that class. And so he he gave me the final in his office. On the, He was a guitar teacher there for a while. And he, uh, you know, I wasn't doing good. And he, he said, you know, after I took the exam, final exam, I got a C for the class for the first semester. And he said, you know, you, I can tell you have ears, you can hear stuff. Why don't you just practice this stuff? And I just was like, it was the stupidest thing anybody could tell you, right? Just practice. And, but a light bulb went off on my head and it was like, oh, you mean I need to practice this stuff? <laughs> and it sounds really silly, but it was like, it, it totally like this big light bulb epiphany thing happened to me. And I was like, Oh, I should practice ear training. You know what? It's kind of like if you're an artist and you, you're colorblind. I mean, it's going to be difficult, right? I mean, you need to develop your sense of colors. So it's like, I need to develop my ears better and learn how to do this, even though I'm not that thrilled about singing soulfish. So every day after that, I mean, next semester, I don't think I ever got a C again. I got B's and A's. I don't know what I got. But at the, what I did was I'd made a point at the end of every day to practice my ear training before I went off and did whatever else for the rest of the day, you know. But I remember though, I had John Marasco for an ensemble. Oh, I'm sorry, Cheryl. I was, no, I was just going to say, I think, though, it's interesting that maybe it was just hearing that from a teacher. Like, you know what? You actually have all this potential, and and you just needed to hear that so you you could have faith to do that work to unlock that potential. Yeah, yep. and I had another guy, a teacher. I don't remember his name, but uh, I ended up in a level seven ensemble. 
which back in those days that it was all jazz, right? I mean, you, you know, I had John Marasco, I was going to say in my like first or second semester for my ensemble. And of course it was like, buy a real book and bring it every week. Okay. And that, and then you play autumn leaves and how high the moon, <laughs> that was the ensemble. But I somehow I ended up with ratings of sevens. I'm like, how did that happen? I don't even know. And I, I was in this jazz ensemble. I had to take one more ensemble and I get in an ensemble with like a saxophonist who's like ridiculous and a drummer and a bass player, or whatever. And, so the teacher was always like, you know, okay, next week, uh, actually in the class, he's like, okay, Joy Spring, guitar, tenor, you guys play it in unison. You ready? One. I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I, I can't even, there's too many notes on the page. Like, you got to give me a week to learn this thing. But he would always, like, I was so timid about soloing over that stuff because I wasn't, I was a rock player. I was playing gigs in a rock band. I was listening to rock stuff. I mean, I listened to jazz, but that wasn't my playing thing but you know I and so I'd go to take a solo over something like that and he'd go and turn you know I'd turn the amp down and he'd actually go turn the amp up and I'm like okay now that's a little silly <laughs> like but like you're saying Cheryl it kind of was like okay well obviously it's so it was encouraging you know even though it was a, a simple act like that but uh yeah well, I don't know there's there's many things that I guess you could say shaped they, I mean, one of the things particularly was a guitar night thing I had to do where I think it was uh, me, Lauren, Jane and Abby, I think it was sort of showing showcasing the women in the guitar department. And I I stupidly chose to play Mike Stern's Chromosome I, I, because everybody had to pick a couple tunes. So me and Lauren decided we were playing together in the same ensemble and. I'm like, you know, I really think if I could pull off Chromosome in the BPC, I'd be awesome. Right. So. That was like the worst thing I ever decided to do. So I we get to sound check and I learned it. I worked on it. I learned it. We get to sound check and we were going on last. So we had to sound check first. So everybody involved in that show was standing on the stage staring at us. And I literally just, and it was the first time I'd played in the performance center. So I was shaking literally in my socks. And I just was trying to, you know, so I don't know, one of us said, let's try chromosome <laughs> for the sound check. <laughs> and I'm like, this is awful. And my hand was fit, literally, anybody would have seen it shaking like a leaf. And I was, it was awful. People were just staring at me like, really? And I'm like, and I'm like, oh God, this is going to be terrible. But then when we got out there on the stage, the wonderful thing that I'd had no idea about until I finally got out there was that when they, when they put the lights down, you can't see anybody. <laughs> so I was like, well, this is great. I can only see like five people in the first row, you know, so it was, it was better, but that experience in particular, um, really, it's like when I have students that are very nervous when they play, you know, I say, well, I got a story for you. I mean, how nerve wracking can it be? I mean, your first time in this big hall and I, I was very intimidated just by the fact that Miles Davis had played there and all these people had played there and I, it all got into my head. But it was like that type of experience. Like I said, and every time I've played there since, it's gotten better and better and better. And I said, the last time I played there, which was, you know, guitar sessions a couple of years ago, I said, I so enjoy just playing in that place because you don't get that opportunity that often. And when you do, it's like, I don't even care if there's two people there. It's just like wonderful to be on that stage mm -hmm. and wonderful. It's like such an opportunity and I totally appreciate it. So I, I'm not really that nervous about it anymore. It's just like, no. And, you know, my mom is like over here going, just take a deep breath and 
don't worry about it. She's like, what, what's your problem? And I'm like, <laughs> you, know, you know, I hear Mag in my ear and it's like, you know, and I got this little guy over here going, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to You know, and then she's over here like, oh, tell everybody to go, blah, blah, blah. you know, just, just have fun. You're up there to have fun. Look, and if you weren't any good, they wouldn't ask you to do it. I'm like, oh, you know, the whole nine yards, right? But it's like it took all these years to get to where you can actually enjoy that process instead of being super nervous where you're just like freaking out. It's like, you know, not much. I still get nervous. Everybody gets nervous, mm -hmm. but it's not like, mm, you know. Well, you yeah. know, it's interesting you say that because I think that I think it's good for students to hear that come from us, you know, because I've brought this up with students and then it, they just, they go, oh, do you feel that? And they're like, yeah, it's a real thing. And it's, oh, and I think sure. it's a really important thing to talk about. Like when you talk about that performance anxiety, mm -hmm. that, you know, it is a process to, the more you do it, the better you get at it, yes, right? For sure. And, and like now you're in a totally different relationship with that first time you played in that it's, venue. It's the playing at school. It's not like, I mean, playing in a bar is a whole nother thing, right? People are drinking, they're talking, they're not really paying attention, they're watching, they're listening, they're having a good time. Berkeley is like, you know, <laughs> they're all staring at you and it's just like, yeeks, like have a beer, you guys. Do, you know, I mean, uh, chill out out there, you know, you're making me nervous. But, you know, it's a different realm when you're in, pl in front of your peers and your colleagues and your whole different animal there. I mean, I'm sure you guys totally understand that. It's, it's, it's very nerve wracking, but you know, a lot of it is, a lot of it is getting out of your own way. You know, your head gets in the way. And so you just have to, I mean, I really flipped out that first time. Cause I was thinking of, you know, John McLaughlin played here with Paco de Lucia and you know, Al Demiola and Holdsworth. I saw Holdsworth here and Eric Johnson played here. I'm like, what are you, why are you even going there? Like, what does that have to do with anything? But it just, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I also love that you said that you acknowledge that like after a long time, what Cheryl said as well, <laughs> that, that it, it, you do achieve a point where you can enjoy it. You still get nervous, but you can enjoy it. Because I think for me as a younger professional, that was something that really freaked me out because I had gotten to the point at a certain point in my playing career where I felt like, okay, it's normal to be nervous. But then I would be on these big like festival concerts mm -hmm. and I would be with someone 20 years older than me and they would be like, just kind of hanging out, you know? Oh, okay. Oh, is it my turn? Oh. And they would just walk out and be, you know, like yeah. blowing up the, and I would be like a basket case. I'd be like, where is the corner where can you hear? And I'd stick a sock in there and I'd be playing the strings and, and like losing it, you know, like I couldn't eat. And I had this whole thing. Well, if I throw up, it takes this many minutes to feel normal again. And, you know, and then I'd go out there and it would be fine. And I'd like, there's something wrong with me. And then it was only like, I don't know, not too many years ago where I had that moment where I really realized that I had shifted. Like, I think I was at Berkeley and we had to teach like a full day. And then we were supposed to like oh. warm up at a sound check, but we couldn't cause something happened. And then I just like walked onto the stage at our concert our faculty concert and I played my thing. Right. And then I was like, oh. Yeah. That's what was happening to those people. They just had dealt with the nerves for 20 years, you know? It takes so. a while, yeah. Yeah. And it's also when you're younger, you know, you think you have all this stuff to prove and your ego is a little more involved with what you're doing. Now I'm old enough to be like, I don't really care anymore. I mean, <laughs> like, you mm -hmm. know, I'm not concerned about if, 
I mean, it, a lot of it's you're projecting onto the audience that they're not going to like what you're doing. And, and it, I try to tell students that, like, don't feel like when you get up and play in front of people that everybody out there's, you know, got a pitchfork in their hand and they're ready to skewer you. You know, they're just there to listen. And it's in your own head that you think they're going to react negatively to what you're doing. But that's that's coming from you, not them. They're They're just there trying to check out what you're doing. And once you kind of get over that whole thing and you get beyond that a little bit it's like yeah I mean they're just all right let me entertain these people or let me just do the best I can and don't worry about it so so Ian as a more recent alum like what's on your mind in this conversation (laughs) uh well thankfully I've never suffered from nerves you know <laughs> Kim's laughing because I had ILRE 375 with her and she had to see me perform. <laughs> um, let's see. I think uh, you know, I don't I don't know. It's it's funny being a student and then a staff member and sort of being on the back end of it. And I've only been in this job for 2 years now. Um, but like for you having been a student going through all that and then being a teacher, a, like a, a faculty member, a full-time faculty member for so long. I was just curious, like what are some of the things that you, you look back and you think, you know, you really didn't know like a lot of the things that you didn't know. Oh, well, so you know I'm, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious, like, like if like some of the students that come in, you know, what, might they not have the experience or wisdom to ask that maybe they should that might open something up for them? Well, when I first started teaching, you know, I was going to New England Conservatory and Larry Bayon ends up in my class, right? My second year, he was there in his first year, I think. And so I I was like, Larry, what are you doing here? And he's like, what are you doing here? I said, well, (laughs) you know, and he knew I wanted to teach at Berkeley and they had said, you need your master's, blah, blah, blah. And, um, But even after I graduated, I graduated NEC in 88 and I didn't get a phone call. You know, I kept kind of calling, hiring, no, blah, blah, blah. And I thought I was going to teach in the harmony department, quite honestly. I had no desire to teach in the guitar department. I didn't even think about that because I didn't think I was, you know, good enough or had enough, I don't know, bling or something. But uh, he called me up in summer of 90 and said, you want to teach in the guitar department? I'm like, oh, And I'm thinking, well, okay, here's your chance to get into the school, whether you want to teach harmony or not. It might not be what you thought you were going to do, but yeah, of course I want to do that. So that freaked me out because then it was like, oh God, now I got to like relearn all the proficiencies. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) like I'd been out of school from Berkeley since 1983. So that really freaked me out. So when I started teaching, I really had to kind of up my own game about getting all these things together so I could teach them because I mean, I, I hadn't been teaching uh, traditional melodic minor scale lately and um, (laughs) you know, for level four, because that's what it was back then, which was bizarre, but just, you know, getting all that stuff together. So it was intimidating for me to have to teach mainly guys and they're probably looking at me like, who is this person, you know, and I'm this rock chick. And, you know, I hope I can say that without it sounding too something. <laughs> and, um, 
But, you know, like I met John Finn right off the bat and we became really good friends right off the bat, you know, and because uh, he was kind of doing similar, well, musically speaking, he was a rock guy, right? So there hadn't been that many rock players at all. I mean, when I was a student, if you wanted to study anything other than jazz, you had to study with Jim Kelly and consequently I could never get on his schedule because he was always full. And that was about it. But by the time I started teaching there, you know, I think Dan Bowden, Mike Williams had been hired prior to me. The, the, the class that I came in with of teachers was Mark White, Mashi um, Hasu, and uh, Norm. Okay. No, Norm didn't. No, did, yeah, me and Norm got hired, I think, at the same time with Mashi and with uh, Mark White. It was the four of us, I think. So, but it, you could see that the whole department was starting to become, you know, much more diversified as far as the styles were concerned. Um, but I just remember trying to just hang on to like, I, I need to really get all this stuff together so I can teach this stuff and, you know, present myself in a way that they don't think I'm, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> just like, who is this person? I've never heard of this person, you know, like come to Berkeley and you study all this stuff. It's like, I really got to up my own game really is what it seemed to me, which was a little intimidating at first. And then I kind of got settled into, okay, you know, this is cool. I can do this. But it was, it was you know, it was one of those learning things. And it was like stepping on the BPC stage for the first time. It was very nerve wracking, but it, but it, um, you grow from that because it, you know, makes you work harder. Right. So you right. try to be successful at what you're doing so that you can, I mean, I really just, I enjoy teaching, you know, a lot. So I, I wanted to be an effective teacher, but I also had to kind of up my playing even more than where I, it was at that point, because I, I had to be able to show things and stuff and gain respect through that. And I think, you know, for women, it's a little tougher. You have to be almost the cliches. You got to be twice as good as the guys because they won't respect you unless, you know, you can kind of show them that you have stuff going on in your playing. And that's just, that's just how it's always been. And again, that was something that didn't bother me. I looked at it as a challenge. I was always, the only girl in the playground playing four square, you know, or the, you know what I mean? Like the only, you know, the only girl playing ice hockey with the guys. I mean, you know, it's always, it's always been that way for me. So I, I don't mind it. I look at that as a challenge and that's what makes you a much better, um, you build up kind of, a, um, you know, your self worth and stuff through that. So, you know, oh, so in a way, I mean, it's really don't, don't fear the challenge, embrace the challenge, because it's going to lead you to places you never expected, right? Don't fear the challenge. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, man, put some chords to that. We got a back. Yeah. Because you can go sit in the corner and say, oh, poor me, you know, the world's against me. I'm a girl and everybody's against girl guitar players and all this stuff. And yeah, you're getting a lot of sexism and things thrown at you all the time. Back then, especially, it was pretty, you know, pretty brutal. But that's the way things were and things are better now. And so you just yeah. the only you know, my mom was is has been and has always been my biggest role model. And she's always been the same, you know, the same way. Like you just got to show them, you know what you're doing. And once they know that, you know what you're doing, then you have respect there. But mm -hmm. you, you have to be. To, to, to gain the respect of people on a certain level, you have to aspire to get to that level. Mm -hmm. And then they'll respect you. And that's just the way it is. It's not a woman-man thing necessarily. It may be a little tougher for women because there is there is a little bit of an attitude sometimes from some of the men. <laughs> or maybe they, probably they, healthy. Maybe they get threatened a little bit, but, you know. It's, it's probably a lot healthier for both students, you know, young women and young men, to see such killing 
women teaching at Berkeley and leading the department, mm -hmm. the guitar department. And, you yeah. know, it's probably better for everybody, like, mm -hmm. you know, as mm -hmm. a result. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a question, Robin, because like a lot of the what you started talking about really kind of focused on being able to adapt, right? You come into a situation, you're excited, there are challenges you don't expect, and then you have to adapt to it, whether it's coming to Berkeley for the first time or playing in the BPC or dealing with some of those issues and, or like learning how to get your chops together to play or to teach. Um, what kind of advice do you have for students now who are dealing with this pandemic, right? Which is an unprecedented challenge, but also in some ways like one more challenge, but maybe for them, the first big one. Well, I think just sort of take care of your, you know, practice and do your work. I mean, I, there is, there's no shortcut to getting better. You have to do the work. And, and one of the things is, you know, I was always uh, admiring my mom again because my dad passed away when I was 12 and he was an upright bass player. They used to play in Boston all over the place. And when he passed away, she, I witnessed her having to deal with the, me and my two brothers and having to be the sole breadwinner and taking care of us and, they were out of college. They, they quit college. I was the only one who finished college. They kind of, you know, that whole thing kind of, it, it, it divided our family in a sense, like it kind of was a big blow to the family. But you know, what I, what you see out of that was that my mom was so determined. I mean, she used to play six nights a week at the colonnade in Zachary's lounge and then get up at nine in the morning, going to, you know, Berkeley and teach. And I mean, to see her work six nights a week for years and years and years and years, and still get up and teach every day. And she loved it and she still loves it. She's still teaching, she's 92 years old. But I mean, you, when you see that work ethic and just the fact that she's not the type of person to feel bad for herself, you'll never hear her complain. She doesn't complain about how she's feeling. If she has an achy knee or something, you don't hear her complaining about how much work she has to do. She just did it and she, it, she loved it. And it was the thing that she knew she had to do for our, my sake. Our sake, she put me through two sets of colleges, you know, Berkeley and NEC. And um, she didn't have to do that, but she did. And it's just when you see that work ethic, I try to convey that to my students because it really takes a lot of work. If you want to be successful in music, no matter which part of it you go to, writing video music, playing gigs, doing this, that, you have to work so hard at it. And the more you work though, the more it pays off. And a lot of kids today I find are having a hard time being motivated to put in the time and the work And it. For whatever the reason, there's a lot more challenges in the world today. There's a lot of stuff going on that's very um, distracting and, and depressing uh, along with that, with the COVID and everything. So it's just like, try to put yourself into your work and just, you know, put your, I, I say to my students, like, you know, you guys have something that most of the population on this planet does not have. You have a creative outlet. You can play a guitar or other instruments, or you can arrange and write and create. A lot of people on this planet do not have that ability. And when you get up on a stage, that's like the most rarest. When you think about it, there's not that many people doing that. You know, out of the whole population, there's not that many people who actually learn an instrument, work on this stuff, get up on a stage and perform in front of people because the majority of people would flip out if they had to do such a thing. But you have the ability to do that. That is a gift. Mm -hmm. And you need to develop the gift. You need to nurture the gift. You need to work towards that gift. And so it's, 
you know, it's, it's the work ethic, but also realizing that you have something that most of the people around you don't do. You know, how many people in your circle are musicians? Not that many, probably, you know, friends maybe, but out of your whole family, how many people play music? Some of the kids I teach, it's like, I'm the only one who ever played anything musical in my family. And you're so lucky your mom and dad were musicians. My grandmother was a mandolin player, her, my mom's mom. And, uh, you know, so I had it in the family, but it's like, well, that's okay that you're the only one. It doesn't matter. It's like, you love it. You, you, you have a gift for it. You've got the talent for it. So nurture that. And you have to work really hard to keep your head kind of heading in the right direction. It's easy to fall into sort of the, oh, you know, uh, you know, it gets frustrating. Nobody wants to fail at anything, but you have to work that much harder to overcome those failures. And you just have to, the biggest thing you can do as a teacher for these kids is encourage them. I don't care if they have like one pinky on their left hand. It's like, just, yeah, that's great. Play that scale. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's, they really just need encouragement. I mean, the biggest thing at the end of the day is they're just human beings that need encouragement. You, you're trying to teach them things. And yet, you know, some kids are more talented than others. The kids that are talented tend to be maybe more self-motivated, but the other mm -hmm. kids, they're the ones who need more encouragement because because they are struggling with the frustration of trying to learn something they can't do yet. And um, you have to give them a lot of encouragement so that you make them believe in themselves so that they can, you know, achieve all this stuff they're trying to do. That's all. Yeah. It's as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, on that note, before we go, do you have any simple advice for me and Cheryl and, and Ian like as we're looking at everything from our perspective in the office, um, well, what do you doing see? A phenomenal job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you're managing it all, but geez, there's only like 5,000 million things going on at the same time and you guys are doing awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, uh, the, the department as a whole, I think is a great community of people and friends and colleagues. And we're all just kind of, it's kind of weird in this COVID related situation when we see each other on a Zoom meeting and it's like three, three pages of little squares of people. And, you know, it's, it's a little um, bizarre in a way, but it's, uh, we, we are a community of people. And I think you guys are doing a great job leading that whole community you know, and keeping us together and keeping us informed and, and letting us know what's going on with everything. So it's, I, I greatly appreciate your efforts. So. Likewise. Um, yeah. Back at you. So. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So I think, I think uh, our, our cup of coffee right now is done cup until the coffee. next one. Coffee <laughs> cheers, everyone. Yes. Um, Robin, thank you so much for being our guest. Oh, thank you for asking me. Absolutely. And thanks, Ian. And thanks, Cheryl. Yeah, and Robin, Ian. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>